Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another Britflix podcast. Today we're talking with Mike Todd. Hello, Mike. Hello, Stuart. Hello. And we're talking about a new documentary that you've made, Shankly, Nature's Fire, which, for those who didn't get the clue in the title, is about Bill Shankly, the uh, the famous football manager who managed Liverpool Football Club. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what, beyond what I've just said, what you think this documentary is? Yeah, the film is really kind of a, a few years in the, in the making. It's been, um, it's kind of conceived around, yes, Bill Shankly's, life story i suppose you know a, a standard film about you know his influence his iconic status at liverpool but it's also i suppose uh looking at the changing nature of football and how you know the game is uh, relates to the fans and all the rest of that you know because there's been so many changes over the last few decades i think if you look at shankley what he represented in his life story i think uh in the telling of that you can also kind of look at the changing face of I suppose changing face of Britain really and what the true roots of the game are and where it came from and all the rest of it. So it is a story of Shank and his life, but it's also hopefully, um, you know, uh, a wider story about the changing nature of football. No, no, no. I think, I think the, I think, I think the football and working class communities, um, you know, the, 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 the homage to Glen book where he was born. Um, and, you know the, the the way people talked about the area and what people were like, and obviously what what Bill Shankly's remembered for best this whole kind of this idea of socialism and being the being one of the people. Um, we don't really associate that as much now with our football icons. They're just they're they're high on platforms, aren't they? Way above us, looking down, going, "I'm a football superstar." So no, I thought the subtext of um, the people's game not really necessarily being the people's game anymore was something that. I think came out of it without you ever sort of layering it on thick. Yeah, I think that's what we wanted to try and do. Let the film, you know, best can uh, speak for itself. Because, yeah, we didn't want to, uh, you know, bash anyone over the head with what we were trying to do. But it's at the same time, I think it's just uh, naturally there. If you look at everyone knows this, it's not uh, anyone who's followed football from before the Premier League came into existence and has some sort of like memory of uh, the way things were. I mean, we talked to, uh, I know you've seen the film, but kind of Irving Welsh in the film, who's, mm. you know, 
commentated on football culture and is known as a big Hibs fan. And, you know, he, he talks about how people love the game still, but, you know, many for many people, they're kind of tired of the industry and just the way it's kind of sold back to uh, people when it really, you know, the places like where Shankly's from at Glenbrook, this is a game that did come from these industrial communities and was very much part of the fabric of life and was owned by the people who played it. It was there, they ran the clubs, they arranged the games and they played the games and it was um, it was something that wasn't a commodity that was traded or sold or made as a, you know, as a profit-making venture. It was something that people enjoyed and wanted to partake and participate in. No, no, a, fr- a friend of mine, Scott Murray, who works at the works at the Guardian has just published a book called The Title, which is the history of the First Division. So everything up to 1992, which I think the big elephant in the room we're talking about is, is that there was quite kind of a shift in, in football culture the moment the Premier League was born, um, obviously, which goes is way beyond uh, when, when Shankly was involved with football. But, <clears throat> yeah, there's definitely, definitely been a sea change, and, that, and that, that comes across in terms of what you're celebrating about Bill Shankly. Now, your previous film... Was about music, yeah, yeah. The um, Hustlers Convention. So, the, from 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 a documentarian point of view, what what where do you make the leap from? Some and, and you've obviously done a, a, a sport a sport one with Joe Frazier uh, in, before as well. So obviously, sport is something you're interested in. Um, but where do you go from like doing sort of, I guess, the roots of hip hop, <laughs> and then and then the next thing you do, and you're like, right, let's do Shankly. How does where does where does that come in on your how does that come up on your radar to then put your efforts into a Bill Shankly documentary? I suppose um, I think the interest for me is around telling the stories in a, a slightly different way. But if for want of a better expression, I suppose we're particularly interested, and I'm particularly interested in, I suppose what you might call the people's history and the uh, you know people rather than being you know uh, what can I say part of a structured history that's told about them that where are the where are people's voices I mean one thing we did as you've seen in the Shankly film is yes it's got Ian St. John and Roger Hunt uh, Phil Toms and Dennis Law even from the Huddersfield days but we also put the you know the voices of the fans who were part of that era as part of the, the story because uh, for me and it's the same you mentioned our previous film Hustles Convention it is about kind of the roots specifically of, of rap and the kind of the oral storytelling around that mm-hmm. but it's um, it's about I suppose uh, the experience that people have and the means of expression that people have and the the kind of the culture that they come from and how that is uh, presented and, and trying to make it I don't know um, show how kind of that, that shapes history really in a way that um, you know, often when you just look at the top level, you just look at Shankly's career as a Liverpool manager, and you look at it in just the football context. Then mm. it's uh, it, it, we're looking, I suppose, for the for the kind of the, the story of behind that in terms of uh, people's experiences and what they've lived through. Yeah, I mean, because I've I mean I've read Stephen Kelly's biography on Shankly, but it was a long time ago, so so I'd forgotten the really obtuse route he took to. Uh to finally become a Liverpool manager. And the fact that, I mean, for, for a lot of people listening who aren't Liverpool fans, when he took over Liverpool, they were, they were a kind of sleeping giant that were about to become prehistoric and, and, and sort of, you know, dormant forever if they didn't pick it up um, when, when, he joined, when he joined the club. I mean, it was interesting just seeing things like, he in, in, in the sort of interim, he sort of went into football, like Carlisle, I think it was, and then, and then the Workington just choice just felt really looking at it in your film the way you, you cover like his the way his career went after he stopped playing 
it doesn't feel like obvious. And you can't imagine in this day and age that being a route for anyone into the top flight management, can it? No, I think that was what's interesting. Right? Even for me, uh, being from Bolton, coming across the research, you see that in the war years, he, he played for Bolton Shankly a few games. And mm. there's, uh, there's like one score sheet where I think it was like 2-1 to Bolton and Nat Loftus had scored one and Shankly had scored the other. I don't think he scored many goals for his position. But, <laughs> it just, but what I think that said about it, and the more you dug around in his story, and as you mentioned, because he was at Grimsby, it was at Carlisle, Huddersfield and Workington, you know, uh, he, and where he's from in Glenbrook, I, I think you you kind of he, his story is intertwined with communities, industrial communities across the north. And I mean, I mean the north as the north of England, but also Scotland. And he, he's a uh, you know he's remembered in these places even today. I think I saw um, the Grimsby Telegraph had done an article on the film because although for if you're a Liverpool fan, it's all about Liverpool. Shankly's mm. story actually is touches these different places and they haven't forgot as you see in Workington they've got the Shankly Lounge and he went up there and opened that he'd not forgotten either of his mm. and you know so he was uh I think he was more, he was loved wherever he went and he you know Dennis Law still has such admiration for him and even in the film says that you know although we associate Dennis Law mostly with United and also played at City but you know he says that Shankly taught him everything he knew he, he, he no still... that was really heartfelt that it was a really really touching moment when 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 you hear it and you, you and and it, and it sort of echoed with other other players that you spoke to this 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 formidable force in football was also everybody's father as well it was like you know and it's not even like I don't even say that even thinking like it wasn't remotely metaphorical at all. He, he he you felt you got the impression he took that responsibility on and grabbed it with both hands, didn't he? Yeah, it's difficult to um, you know. I think uh, even for me going into it, having a sense of kind of you might say what the the legend of um, Shankly was and is, and, and knowing a lot of Liverpool fans that I've spent time in Liverpool over the years, you know, you have a sense of of what he means, but. I don't think I've ever done anything or been involved with anything where you meet someone who's so universally admired by everyone who worked with him and knew him. It's a, it's a phenomenal, really, um, story, just in that sense, how much he really was respected. And, and I mean, obviously, given, given that, that, that Shankly, Bill Shankly's story is well documented, and, and like I said, I mean, I've, I've, read, I've read a couple of books, Stephen Kelly's being a more prominent one, um, what? How did you approach? How, what was your approach to seeing the story? As you say, you're trying to do a people's history, so obviously that's not strictly about showing every nut and bolt of Shankly's career, but but obviously the cause and effect of that career. So how how did you how did you see your role as the documentarian to tell this story to make it interesting beyond what maybe a, a lot of people might already know? Yeah, that was a difficult one because there are a lot of books written and uh, even, you know, from earlier eras, kind of Granada documentaries, these type of things have been, uh, you know, football's greatest managers type series where you see one on Shankly. So the facts, I think, of who he was and what he achieved there, and I think even everyone who's remotely familiar with Shankly knows uh, his stature at Liverpool and his relationship with the club and how he's the iconic figure. But um, I suppose, yeah, the the challenge for us and for me uh, when we approached it was to try and place that in some sort of wider context to to kind of look at what his life in terms of how he lived it and the values, because it's about, I suppose, you know, it's a lot of word that comes up in, in the film, but the kind of the humanity that he brought to the, the game um, that just seems so different than what we have today. So it was that looking uh, in a way like, I suppose, history 
should do, in, in my view, that you're, you're looking at the past in a way that can kind of help us understand the present and, and where we are now and what lessons that the past still has for us. And uh, so there's an element of that without it being a, you know, a lecture or, or anything like that. There was a just kind of there is clearly, you know, with groups like the Spirit of Shankly, we work closer with them and Peter Hooten uh, is a producer uh, on the film. You know, mm-hmm. we wanted to really work closely with the fan community and and um, just try and look at what Shankly's life meant to people and what kind of what it said and, and why it still resonated so much. So I think that the, the the passage of time, the fact that we're talking, you know, his deaths over, you know, 30 odd years ago, uh, it just gives a sense of perspective perhaps and allows us to talk to people in a way that maybe wasn't possible during the time he was alive and the time he was a, a manager. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I was, I mean, you're uh, enabling me to see the film uh, before we spoke. Couldn't be in time better. I've got my, I've got my dad staying, and although listeners might think, my, with my accent, there's no connection with Liverpool. My dad's a scouser, and uh, he grew up. He was there watching Liverpool when Shankly arrived. So I was able to watch your film <laughs> with my dad, and it was quite, it was really quite interesting, you know, seeing him sort of. Um, Sort of glow with pride and stuff when he's what he's watching the film and he's telling me what he remembers and where he was stood and and then he then he tells me that it cost him a week's wages for the sixty five cup final. Oh, did he go? Did oh he go? yeah, yeah, yeah. He went the oh, sixty five. Yeah, yeah, he paid. He, paid, he said he paid seven fifty for a seven and six ticket. Um, is what he told me off a tout. So um, yeah, no, it's it, it was it was really and it, you know he remembers the queens wearing red being uh, being what they were singing. Yeah, um, and so it's it's sort of it's something that'll never leave. And obviously, that's that's just my dad being a fan of him. But obviously, he's a, he's he's an icon of of Liverpool. And without without him, there is the arguably there is no Liverpool. But there's no Jurgen Klopp. There's no Kane Dalglish. There's no Kevin Keegan. There's no all these things emanate from him, um, which is quite immense, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think in that respect is. He's unique. I mean, you look at what Matt Busby did at United or what Jock Steen, and bear in mind, as the film points out, and as Hugh McElvenny was in the film, but he did a very interesting series of years ago on the football men of those three. But the fact they're all from 20 miles from each other... Phenomenal, that, isn't it? ...says something about the nature of their upbringing and, and the character of the people there. But, um, yeah, I think I think for Shankly, there's something that, in my view, and maybe I'm biased because of the film and the time we've spent on it, but there's something that slightly sets him apart in that he just turned up there on his own, didn't bring anyone with him. Uh, you know, Bob Pales is there already, Joe Fagan. These people are already there who go on to be the, the boot room and everything. Mm. But it's, it's him that is the catalyst and the kind of the foundation and the touch point for changing how Liverpool uh, saw itself as, as a team and what it could be and, and how the fans related to the club, I think. And it was, uh, you know, the legacy left is, has been uh, profound. But yeah, it, it does... I think the my hope is, you know, that you wouldn't have to like football to to watch the film in that mm. it, it kind of transcends football in terms of what he achieved and the way he was uh, respected and the kind of the values he brought to the game and the way he conducted himself. Because I think you find people in all walks of life who uh, who are exemplary at what they do or what they are or what they represent. And it, it doesn't need to be, you know, it doesn't matter what the, the particular field of their endeavour is just by the way they conduct themselves and, and have the, as Shankly's fond of saying, that kind of natural enthusiasm for what they're doing and the passion that they have. And it, it resonates with people. 
And uh, I think um, that's what Schenkley represented and why people, Liverpool, Everton fans, both had this respect for him. And people from outside of Liverpool, he became a kind of a, this figure of national importance. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think I think one thing that comes across clear, and again, without without you saying it, so it's it's, it's for us to certainly decide, and certainly I got this, was that for for someone who's perceived as being a man who's you know quoted all round, and maybe he's that the, the the perception might be of an egotist. Actually, the bigger thing that I, I discovered through watching your film is that it's in a in a really weird way for someone who's known for what he's for speaking his mind and for being a leader. He's actually there. There isn't a massive ego there, like you say. The example of him coming to Liverpool and and not and not getting rid of any of the backs, just coming on his own and embracing the back the backroom staff and all those kind of things. They they you know it wasn't like he thought, oh, I know better than everybody. It was more like I can work with everybody. I can work with everybody, which is a very different attitude, isn't it? Yeah, he, he seemed to have a kind of a. Uh, I mean, it sounds they like old-fashioned terms, but like I think you know we're so far beyond it now. Where they also need to kind of come back, but he had a kind of moral fiber mm. in the way he looked at himself, and he was a big fan of kind of Robert Burns and and this idea from that kind of background of of the value of honesty and the integrity of a man that that was paramount. Mm. Um, and I think that's what he he was. He was uh, you know, he represented that to um to people, and the kind of like he built a the trust because he, he, you know, he made a big point. Um, and it is mentioned a few times, I think in the film, that honesty was kind of this, this key principle. And it's just not the type of word you associate with mm. football now, you know, or the type of values that are connected to, but that, that really to me is what football as a community game uh, should be. It should be a, a vehicle to kind of represent the best of, of what we are. I think there's, um, I forget the writer's name is a famous book from the sixties called the, uh, I think it's called the football man. I forget the writer's name, but in that there's a there's a kind of a quote that that a society kind of the way it constructs and 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 values football reflects the kind of the values of the society. And I think you know you can see that the difference there in between what Shankly represents and the way we currently consume football. So, so from from a from a making a film point of view, what what were um... What were the challenges in, in, in the inception of this, getting it off the ground? Was it was it was it relatively easy just to bandy around the name Bill Shank and everyone says, "Yeah, let's back this film"? Or, or, or what was the process like for that for you? So uh, very, I mean, it, we're going back um, five or more years to when this film we, we started to try and get it off the ground. It was actually the one that I wanted to make on the back of having a, I'd say, reasonably successful. Although I had many challenges. The film we'd done on Joe Fraser, I was interested to see if we could do something else in the in the sporting space and. We had um, interest. Uh, it was at the time when ESPN were uh, like really making a push for a presence here in um, the UK, and they, they got the Premier League rights and all the rest of it. And they'd they'd shown uh, Joe Fraser, and they've got the European rights for our Joe Fraser film, and they uh, had made quite a big song and dance about that. They'd done a lot of press around it, and they'd, they'd um, had me down to the ESPN mm. or Disney headquarters down in London and done wow. a screen. They were like. Um, make it a big deal. And they wanted to do what ESPN had done in the States, which is, I mean, they've got the, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but this 30 for 30 series that, you know, filmmakers like Spike Lee and other high profile. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And they made, you know, high profile sporting documentaries. And I think ESPN wanted to go down that route here to have a sense of um, the stories around the sports, you know, and have a, have a kind of a brand that reflected that. So, uh, on the back of their enthusiasm for the Joe Fraser film, I was talking about this film, about doing a film on Bill Shank, and they were very, 
interested in it. Um, but then just at that point, ESPN lost the football rights to uh, BT. They were out right. We were literally, during the conversation, I remember um, talking to them, they were waiting to hear. It's kind of like you hand over the envelope with your bid, and then you don't know what's going to happen. And, and when BT got the, got the um, Premier League rights, that basically they thought, well, we, we, it's not worth us trying to compete here in the UK without the football rights. Mm. So they, they more or less pulled out, which meant we couldn't get this funded. So I talked to other broadcasters, but we've had a, um, uh, you know, a difficult situation often with, with UK broadcasters. You know, there are not many people based in the north of England who are making uh, feature documentaries, getting them financed. And, and it's fairly difficult to get, you know, the conversation to talk to Channel 4 early on when, you know, and you look at what Channel 4 do now, you can see, having seen the film, this really wouldn't be on there. But I, I wanted to, um, you know, they still thought that there might be scope for something mm. different. And um, it was at a time when Stuart Cosgrove was there. He was the director of Nations and Regions. Big football fan, uh, you know, he's there at the Scottish Football Museum, Stuart Cosgrove. He's really interested in the history, and he, he was interested. I think he saw the possibility of it, but admitted that he just couldn't see a way that it would be on somewhere like Channel 4. Similarly, BBC, no interest uh, initially. Um, but what we – so I kind of like um, put it on the back burner for a while, but the, the follow-up film you referenced before uh, ended up being this film, Hustlers Convention, kind of on the roots of – rap and looking at the kind of the missing link between, um, you know, that era of uh, the black power movement and then what became hip hop and looking at the last poets and all the rest of it. And we got funding for that film uh, mm-hmm. that helped us finish through creative England because they had regional, uh, regional funding available for funding for outside. Got, London. Yeah. So we got some money uh, from that that helped us finish. And again, th- that film did reasonably well, certainly in terms of the, the coverage it got, um, you know, it, it was, um, it was a, a decent, uh, I suppose, promotion for us and what we were doing. But um, I, I talked to Creative England about um, funding this film because I thought, well, if we can film it through, you know, uh, kind of grants or whatever, we could do it. But I had in my mind that, you know, you always got to try and think creatively. That obviously, with Shankly's Origins, there is um, a big element of the score story that's Scottish. So course, yeah. I, I talked to... Um, Sonia Henrique, she she runs the uh, Scottish documentary institute. They do a lot of good work in Scotland in terms of feature documentaries. They've got a built a real strong documentary culture in Scotland, and they've really, I mean, Scotland is different. I don't want to like uh, complain about this here, but I've had an issue with it. Uh, the, Scotland has a uh, benefits from a distinct identity and funding structure and all the rest of it that in the north of England we don't really have anymore since all the regional film bodies were gone. It's mm. uh, not that kind of... Um, and I mean, this if there was a Northwest filmmaking body like Northwest Vision existed, you know, X number of years ago, this would be a, a really, really appropriate as a film that is really so centred in Liverpool. But there's just not that kind of... Even though there's like over 7 million people live in the Northwest, there's not uh, a pot of money available specifically to support something that would be relevant to the audience. So... With that um, challenge, I thought, okay, here we've got a Scottish story. So I spoke with the Scottish Documentary Institute, and they said, yes, there could be a way to fund this for Scotland. But uh, Sonia introduced me to a guy called Alan Clements, who is well known in television. He's um, he's now director of content at Scottish Television, but he, right. he run a, a IWC, <clears throat> I think it was. But he's he's uh, anyway well well respected and all this and. Uh, 
he uh, really liked it. So he and they've been involved STV as a production company in doing feature documentaries. They did one fire in the night about the Alpha Piper disaster and a few other things. And he he saw I think the potential in this. So we had a kind of a this was two years ago now. We had really at the beginning of the film they put a small amount of development money in uh, and we had kind of the nominal interest of Creative England, Creative Scotland, and we had um, uh, BBC Scotland. I met with BBC Scotland uh, and, and everyone was interested in the film, feature documentary, it would have theatrical release. We had Soda Pictures, who are now Thunderbird, and who actually are the distributors on the film, but they were interested in it. So it seemed like, I couldn't believe it, this is, never had this experience before. All the pieces are in place. Anyway, we didn't get the funding for Creative English. So, <laughs> so it, Bloody it, hell. It all, it all fell apart. Like, a, you know, a house of cards just tumbled down. And um, so we were left um, we were left with nothing, basically. We'd had the small amount of development. We'd done a bit of initial filming. Um, and by this time, we were already working with Peter, Peter Hooten, who mm-hmm. some will know was the singer in the farm, but in terms of Liverpool, he, he's he's known he's been heavily involved in establishing the spirit of Shankar, the supporters group and he's kind of very active in the fan community and i remember sitting in the grapes pub me him and our assistant producer jack and we said what we're going to do are we going to give it up do we give up and you know we kind of looked at the taste that we'd caught and like well had a few pints and then said well what would shanks do i mean we have to try and make it somewhere you know so <laughs> yeah we thought we'd look at crowdfunding and all the rest of it. What could and and we looked. So we then had a, I'd say a year and a half of just trying to edge forward, getting interviews here, like interviewing Dennis Law, Roger Hunt. Bit by bit, we were we were getting the names. We were just kind of on. Can the I ask you when when you're in that process where the film is sort of trying to find its trying to find its investment to get made, but obviously yeah. you go it doesn't cost anything other than time given the yeah. you know, equipment to go and interview Dennis Law. So but obviously you're you're using up Dennis Law's time. So how do you approach yeah. someone and say, look, I'm trying to make a documentary or do you say I am making one? We just say we're making it. And we're already by that time we we we've got people and and in our minds it will get finished. Oh so it's you're you're mentally going, this is happening. We're just uh, gonna have to see what happens later down the line in terms of money. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like a question. The only question will be is what archive can we pay for? Because we've got the, you know, with the uh, although we're a small company, we've we've got, you know, some kit. We've got a camera. We've got Premiere. You know, we we can edit. I mean, I self-edit the the films mm. we make anyway. So we knew that we had the ability to finish a film, um, but and we had the will to do it. It's just what will it end up as? How are we gonna, you know? So. It's it's more like what will the outcome be rather than will the film be made if you Got see you. what I'm. What, so, would, what do you think going into this documentary and your own sort of preconceived ideas about who Bill Shankly was and what he represented in terms of you know Scottish culture, football culture, fan culture? Um, what 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 changed in your opinion through the process of making this documentary? I think for me, I'd underestimated uh, the the depth, I suppose, of his relationship with um, the Liverpool fans. I think I, you know, uh, I, I, I just, what can I say? I understood his significance. Like I understand, you know, what Sir Matt Busby represented to United or being a Bolton fan, what Nat Loftus means to the club or for Preston fans, what Tom Finney means. You know, you have these mm. figures who are connected with clubs or Bobby Moore in West Ham, you know, they have um, 
a kind of a resonance part of the folklore of the club. But there was something, I hesitate to use the word because they talk about football as a religion, but there is something almost spiritual in the way that he connected with the fans. Mm. And it's, uh, and there's a depth to it and a, a, a kind of, a, again, I hesitate to use these words, but kind of a meaning to it that is beyond football that I think is fascinating for anyone to, to look at and, and, and Mike, understand. Mike, I'm, I'm too young to have seen, to have known him as a manager of Liverpool, you know. I mean, I'm born in 71, so I'm old enough, I suppose, but, you know, you don't remember much when you're three. Um, yeah. And I was not 10 years old when he passed away. But I can tell you, I've got two pictures of him in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm, I think to our friends, you know, like, uh, we were like pictures of Shankly on the wall. When I was at Liverpool, buying a, like a Shankly t-shirt for a friend, I just, he's been there in my life as well somehow. Uh, just as, he's just remained familiar mm. uh, presence and, and what he means. And watching old Shankly documentaries, like everyone, you don't have to be a Liverpool fan, but if you if you're connected in a closer way to Shankly. So everyone knows about Tony Wilson going round, asking mm. people. Oh, no, yeah. It's part of the folk, and that's in, in the film we put it in. Because... But, but interestingly, my, my grandfather is from yeah. Glasgow, and he moved. He married an English woman and lived in Manchester. But but uh, Shankly, more than, than Busby, was, was a man he admired, just as a man, nothing to do with football whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's it. That's that's a, again, it goes to something in the story that's hard to put your finger on. But it, it is that's the character of him as a man is is an important part of. Uh, and it, it's just it, again, it, it sounds, you know, I never thought I'd be like at this stage in my life and look at issues like kind of like moral fibre or you know the integrity and in these things. But it seems that it's so rare a commodity when you look for people in public life or people who will speak with such clarity in terms of putting the fans first and being on the side, if you like, of the people in a, in a very um, genuine and, and uh, not a, in a kind of a orchestrated way, just a natural way. And it's, um, it, it's really, you, you ask yourself, well, it, have we lost something here from the type of upbringing he had and the character that, that he, that he had and, uh, you know, what he represented to people? Um, it's, uh, I think it's why it resonates to me. It's, and I have seen him connected to the name before, but like it's a way like Muhammad Ali meant so much to so many people. Mm. They're very different, but at the same time, the similar type figures that people look to them as a kind of like. Well, a, I mean, in, in Argentina, obviously, Mar- obviously Maradona to Argentina, Argentina as a cultural yeah. icon. You know, it's, 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 it, it, and Pele to Brazil. These, these people sort of transcend their, 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 their impact on sport. It's um, it's a it's there's an enigma to them, isn't there? That that you'll never you'll never understand completely. But I think you you're right. It's like you, when you begin to look at it about this moral the, the moral fiber aspect. If if we to look around and despair maybe at the state of the world, we wouldn't know how to fix it. But when you when you go okay, well let's look at what good looks like, and you see something as simple as how Shankly lived his life. You go ah, right, if everybody lived like that then the world would be a better place, which sounds really trite to put it that way. But I can, <laughs> no, but I can imagine with you holding the microscope on his story, you begin to go, OK, well, if more people in public life had a little bit more integrity, the world would be a better place. <laughs> yeah, if there, was, if there was that value of honesty in, in the way people... And, and that, you know, people... The way you valued the ordinary fans, the, the Liverpool fans who came week in, week out, the way, you know, he, he gave... He gave them respect and and saw himself as a as a public servant really to mm. to the you know the community in Liverpool that he was there to 
deliver things for them and he put the same message into his players and all the rest of it. It's something they've... You look at the people who he touched and was connected with. You know, so many people gone on to be managers or pundits on, you know, national television. The, the, the Liverpool is... And you can see somehow that there was a clearly a an empowerment that was made possible in that environment that that made so many people coming from that effectively that school um, so influential in the game. Yeah, um, and interesting, you mentioned before about the um, Steen, Busby, and, and, and Shankly being sort of from 20, 20 miles apart from each other, uh, and, and it's sort of where sort of your documentary and, and, and my friend's book, the title sort of. I've, overlap is that he has a big section looking at the 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 impact of Scottish footballers on English Football League as something yeah. that you know since 1992 has has been on the wane and has never we've never really seen any impact whatsoever whereas for most of the 20th century Scotland was a was a big footprint all over football in England yeah, that's another thing that I really learned more. But I always think of like the spiritual home of football being really the, the north of England. But I have to say, making this film, I think probably really it's, it's Scotland when you look at the biggest clubs and the info, you know, you and the kind of the football culture. But I had not realised that the you know kind of the English league had been started by a Scott. The FA Cup was started by a Scott. That you know these managers would come down. I think Liverpool's first team that they ever fielded had eleven Scottish people in it. I think Bolton's first team had seven or eight Scottish players in it. So these clubs that are associated with the fabric of the industrial north, that are part of football and culture, were very heavily influenced. But I think it goes back, again, something that I was unfamiliar with, to the style of the game that evolved in Scotland. We touch on it very briefly, but uh, is it the Scottish National Football Museum, which I did during the making of this? It it makes it much clearer. And I think even uh, FIFA recognised this. But it was the short passing game that developed in Scotland, the kind of the teamwork and the pace that gave the Scottish an advantage. And they were, you know, the, the superior team. Even Tom Finney says in our film, in some old archive we have, that the Preston chairman says all the best players come from Scotland. There's obviously... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously the today's, today's narrative says Pep Guardiola has invented something, when in fact he's not. He's only doing what, what people understood half a century ago or more of how to play effective football. That's it. It really is the, the modern football, as we know it, now the the quick passing the you know pushing forward i mean it's the it's it's really it's got its roots in scotland you know they they revolutionize the game well that's a that's a good point to make uh, i feel like i don't know if you ever remember the uh, the, the comedy show absolutely they had a character who was uh, who used to cycle over the uh, <laughs> over the border between scotland and england <laughs> and, and basically Give 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 England the V's, but everything. Whenever he was in a conversation, to be Scotland invented that. Scotland invented that. But like as your documentary said, you know the FA Cup by a Scot, the English, the organised football league by a Scot. So it's and 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 we can talk. You know Busby at Manchester United, Shankly at Liverpool. You know Ferguson in the more modern era. Yeah. Know, Scot- Scottish influence on 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 English football. Is 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 there to be uh, there to be seen clearly? Um, and even I mean, this weekend they just opened the Kenny Dalglish stand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I think even Liverpool, you know, you're, you, it's easy to forget as Liverpool fans sometimes that he's is that 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 not everyone's Liverpool. You know, that he's Scottish. You think of him as being Liverpool player first, yeah, and sometimes yeah. 
Um, one last question about about the, about the making of it. Obviously, there's so much to tell, and obviously, I can't imagine what you discovered and how much you had to just put to one side and stuff. What for you were the biggest storytelling challenges when you were sort of editing this story together for for, for a ninety minute movie? I think for us, with what we tried to do, it was the how we um, how we kind of interwove that contemporary narrative about football today and, mm. um, you know, filming with the kind of the Liverpool fans now and um, how we made that uh, part of the film without making it feel like uh, just tacked on or, you know, because you could do a film on Bill Shank and just really just do the archive, just tell his story. It'd still be a very powerful story about one of the most iconic figures in football history. So, uh, I think, but our ambition was to do something slightly different, I think. So, so it was, um, it, I'd say that was the biggest challenge. And then what we've, what we've done is taken audio recordings of, of Shankly and in effect made him the narrator of his own story. And I think, um, in a way trying to link that to the contemporary, uh, situation in Liverpool and the contemporary situation with the way football is now. So I think that was the biggest challenge to make it make it different and, and not make the contemporary observational footage which we have in there feel out of place. No, no, I think that's, that's a really clever choice. I, I feel like you, 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 we were jumping from the, from, the, from the present to a different part of the past, so always progressing, but all the while you reminded us that this film is about the impact the man had on today as much as it is about how he got to have an impact. Yeah, that was the, that was the aim, to try and have that, to make it, you know, as I say... I think that's the the real value in in history is is what it what it um, can illuminate for us now. You know, um, I mean, it's interesting as a as a curiosity about what happened this time or that time. But I think w- the lessons from history that you can look at and and make relevant for now, I think that's the thing that interests me anyway. Yeah, no, and I think I think there's a there's a definite future to the warning of sorry, there's a warning to the future of football. It, it inherent in your movie, um, in the sense that I, rem- I remember it's something that's always stuck with me. When the Premier League started, and there was a kind of you know the the whole kind of the, the Viva la Revolution aspect to it, <clears throat> I remember Clive Tilsley very specifically saying um, in an interview when they were discussing, going football better be careful because. If it prices fans out too much, and this is like early '90s, so you know, we're not even, it's sort of, it's, it's, it seems that we've not really understood this warning yet. But like, um, if you have no fans, you don't have a product, and 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 obviously, to call it products, call it customers, is 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 obviously heresy in in football fan culture. But but using those terms just to just to for for, for those listening that aren't football fans. Um, do, do you think there is, the, 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 by talking about Shankly and his input and the values he had, do you think there is a clear, a clear I think there's a clear warning in your film to, to the future of football that it kind of treads over fans, you know, at its own, at its own cost in the end? Because it, it, it can't be a sport born on tourists, can it? No, I, I um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I honestly don't know the, the answer to what, you know how you how you solve this problem because so many people are aware of it. I think mm. it's not like a it's not even a a secret. It's an, not even an open secret. It's just understood. Yeah. Um, you, you amongst anyone who's followed football over a certain period. But yeah, I think I think it's the issue, isn't it? To me, the 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 heart of the matter is is football a business and you're selling a product, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that that 
is the way sometimes it's presented. And, but it, it isn't that. These, these um, football isn't that. It was a community game that was... Mm what was owned and played, like I said before, by the people within the towns, the villages, the cities. And they were their teams, whether it's like Newton Heath, the mechanics playing that then became United or, you know, the Bolton Wanderers, just a team that's going round or Glenbrook Cherry Pickers. Um, you, you've, you have um, something that's evolved that people have self-organized and created, and it's not been launched as a business and a product. It's just happened very gradually over time. And I, I mean, I'm not even a kind of like the best person to speak to on, on the how this evolved. I know other people have written on this, how these clubs kind of uh, kind of um, have become businesses rather than football clubs. That is the ultimate issue. And it, it's not to say that it's great, I think, for places like Liverpool or Manchester or other cities to have fans of their football teams all around the world. I think it should be welcomed. I think mm-hmm. football as like a global phenomenon i think fifa's got more members than the united nations it, it is something that really does bring the world together but that makes it even more tragic that it should be kind of be so nakedly commercial and exploitative in terms of how it treats the fans and makes more you know i just think it's there's so much potential in football mm-hmm. uh bringing people together and the enjoyment that people get from playing it and watching it and being and participating it's such a potential force for good that to see it taken over in the way it has been and, and the way it's it's run, I just feel that I don't know the answer, but it just doesn't seem to me like it ever was supposed to be a business that is sold to people. No, no, no. I mean, that's like I say. I think I feel like I, I don't know. I, I certainly don't know that to myself either. But yeah, I felt I felt like there was a clear a clear message running through running coming out of your film that was you know. That what what he believed in and what what is important about football is a warning to football's future. But you know, like you say, that's my reading of the film, and other people will 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 see it. will see something else as well, and and that's the great thing about what you've done with the subject you've tackled. Um, one last thing: um, how can people see the film? So yeah, we have in a, a premiere that it will have a, 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 a small theatrical release, and we've got a, the premieres in Liverpool, as you would expect, on mm-hmm. October 29th. That's a Liverpool okay. film, and, and, and there are, I think, some tickets available if anyone is in Liverpool. But I think there's there's nearly a thousand tickets sold. I mean, it's I'm amazed at the interest there's been, to be honest, with this with this film in Liverpool. But we. Um, I know it's going to be in Glasgow, I think London, in Wales. There are various screenings that are happening. And then um, it will be broadcast on the BBC sometime in autumn. I know definitely in Scotland first. I think national, but I don't have all the details. Mm -hmm. And then it's coming out uh, on DVD and digitally from uh, December the 4th. It's released. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, look, we'll put in uh, Twitter details and website details for your production company and stuff in the show notes so people can uh, check there for details. Um, but only gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time to the Britflix podcast. No, no, thanks for having us. And uh, yeah, it was good to talk to you. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? 
And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.